Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message from Pastor Joel Vardy from the series Doubt, Deconstruction, and Devotion. This series addresses the hurt and pain that some people have experienced in and because of the church and how we can still love and follow Jesus in a post-Christian world. Pastor Joel digs into the ideas of deconstruction and doubt in the context of Christianity and faith and explores how these matters may actually have a healthy role to play in our relationship with God. We hope you enjoy today's message. My name is Joel, and we're starting a new series called Doubt, Deconstruction, and Devotion. And uh, I apologize if it's your first time at our church. It's a little bit of a darker, maybe heavier topic than I would prefer. Uh, I I just like to preach fun stuff and jump around, and uh, youth pastor is my roots. And uh, But I think it's an important conversation to have. And uh, speaking of child dedications, next weekend is Father's Day. Um, so yeah, it's fun. You know, somebody told me this recently. It's interesting. Mother's Day is all like, let's get the family together. Let's celebrate mom, everybody together. And yada, yada, yada. So great. But mom still has to end up being mom because everyone's together. And Father's Day is like, dad, run away and go golfing and get away from the family. It's just funny how the two work together. I, I don't know where I was going with that. But anyways, next weekend is Father's Day. Um, and uh, we unfortunately had to cancel our car show again. But uh, we are fully, I mean, we're running that thing next year. It's going to be packed. And we will all breathe on each other next year at Father's Day. And uh, yeah, so that's great. But next weekend, we're going to have a great Father's Day service together. we got some fun stuff planned. we got a mini donut truck coming uh, to continue to just the unhealthy choices that dads make, we'll continue those. And uh, we'll have uh, some nice, we still have some cars coming, uh, just a handful of cars, just to kind of just remind us what it's all about, uh, looking at cars and eating donuts. And so that's next weekend. Um, but uh, today we're going to talk about deconstruction. And you may or may not have heard this term before, this deconstruction, and what does that have to do with, with church? Um, it's an old idea um, that has a newer name. It's kind of just a new label on something that's becoming a bit of a movement. Um, Recently, somewhere in the middle of winter, I stumbled upon a friend posting something from a a deconstruction page, and I thought, what the heck is this? And I I clicked on it, started going through it, and, and was like, wow, I've never seen this before. And I stumbled upon a new word that I'd never seen before, um, an exvangelical. And The general idea in the deconstruction movement, for people who aren't familiar with it, um, is that it's uh, a movement that Christianity is controlling, outdated, it's evil, um, that the faith that we've developed must be completely ripped apart. Um, We can't hold on to any of it anymore so that we can rebuild something new. Now, this what I just said is an oversimplification of deconstruction and a generalization. But for the most part, basically there's Instagram, YouTube pages, Facebook pages that are generally fueled by people who've experienced some form of trauma in the church and are demanding that it's time to reconstruct your faith. And there's no doubt that the church has a complicated past and we haven't got things right every time. Um, And honestly, after seeing what's taken place in our country over the last couple of weeks, I can understand where some of these thoughts and ideas are coming from. There have been issues in the church for years. When you hear the word church, it should make you think of this safe, 
fun place that just puts a smile on your face. Um, a place where you go and you're supported and people know your name and love you as you are. Yet for so many people, the church has become a place where they connect to pain and trauma and they want nothing to do with it. And in the deconstruction movement, they also want you to have nothing to do with it. This mindset is becoming more and more common, especially in Canada. We already lived in this post-Christian society and uh, the deconstruction movement is just adding to that. You know, when I was growing up, um, there was this outside perspective of Christians that were just kind of weird. Um, did you feel that? If you grew up a Christian, did you feel that? Um, that it's kind of like, oh, you're Christian, so you make your own butter and, and you just kind of have this like sort of weird uh, things that you do. And, and, and sort of, um, I remember just uh, friends that would like apologize if they swore around me, if they cursed around me, right? Like it was this sort of idea that Christians were just kind of weird and a little bit different, but especially in light of the recent discovery of these, these children, which is terrible. What I'm seeing is that we're living in a new era where Christianity is no longer considered just kind of weird. It's actually considered dangerous. We're seen as like bigots, as oppressive, as a danger to the future of society. And the narrative is that Christians cause trauma, we're controlling. Um, and they basically say, what I'm seeing through the deconstruction movement is they basically say, you're allowed to love Jesus if you absolutely must, <laughs> uh, but don't you dare love the church or be included in her activities or gatherings. And the problem with the idea of deconstructing your faith or deconstructing the church is written here in Ephesians 5. And Paul tells us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. He gave himself up for her. Like that Jesus actually gave his life for the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. See, you cannot separate Jesus and his bride. If you tried to do that to me, we would not be friends, okay? If you tried to separate me and my bride, it's the same with Jesus. Like we, we cannot separate these things and say, I'm going to have one without the other. And our, our job as followers of Jesus is to allow him to cleanse us with the word of God because we are together the church. So we must allow Jesus to continue to cleanse us with his word. And not to get rid of the church, but to continue in the operate of cleansing ourselves in Scripture. This, this book is, is alive and active and it's sharp and we must allow it to continue to just cleanse us. And as a leader, it's my job to read and interpret the Bible and ensure that the church knows how to follow the example that Jesus set for us. But because we are imperfect humans and there's... Uh, imperfect humans in leadership, sometimes we get in the way of that sanctification and we actually start to work against it. Augustine said this really heavy quote. Um, he said, the church is a whore, but she's also my mother. Now, Augustine was certainly preaching to what I believe would be a much more corrupt church than modern day, but the principle remains the same. She's broken, messed up, has issues, and it's tough to watch what she's going through. But she also gives me life. 
She connects me to the Father, and I'll never turn my back on her. So what about all this deconstruction stuff? Is it evil? Is it good? Does it fit in? If it fits in at all, where does it fit in? Well, let's first talk about the construction of your faith. In the construction of your faith, um, you're developing what you believe and why you believe it. You know, early in your walk with God, it's this beautiful time where you're just so excited. And every Sunday, the worship is amazing. And every time you read your Bible, something jumps out at you. You're just this beautiful, innocent person. And it's such a beautiful time where you're so in love with God and you just want to do the right thing. You just want to please God. You'll do anything to make him happy. I remember sitting with a friend. It's beautiful to sit with people who just sort of found their faith and, and, and just got saved is the, is the word that we, we use sometimes. And, and uh, I remember sitting with him and he had this list of things that he wanted me to talk to him about. We sat down for coffee and he said, okay, what about this in the church? And what about that in the church? And uh, uh, why do Christians do this? Why do Christians do that? He, he, he wasn't like questioning me. He was just like, I want to get this right. So I want to know why I should do these different things. I remember him asking me about tithing and uh, he was excited yet he was still like, so we really give 10% to our church? Like, and it actually says that in the Bible somewhere. Um, uh, it was just a beautiful moment. Again, like wasn't questioning. He was just wanted to get it right because he loved God so much. And in construction, in the construction of our faith, which is constantly happening, um, we can pick up imperfect things. I'll give you an example. If somebody that you loved and trusted and you thought, wow, that person knew the Bible, if, if, if they were like in leadership and they were saying, hey, every Sunday at our church, we wear Shrek costumes. Okay, I got this from the Bible. That's what we do. You cannot enter this place unless you're in a full Shrek outfit. Um, you might actually catch on to that. Now, this is an extreme example. Um, you probably wouldn't, but what I'm saying, I'm trying to, you know, give you a picture of, of what I'm talking about is that we trust people and so we can pick up to, onto their beliefs sometimes even if they're not actually in the Bible. What happens is good soil can grow awesome, beautiful fruit, but it can also grow weeds. We can pick up good gospel, but we can also pick up opinions and attitudes and postures that uh, are beliefs that betray who God is. This is why there's a good type of deconstruction. But this is a lot harder to come across than what we're seeing, this deconstruction movement that we're seeing on Instagram and YouTube or wherever. It's really hard to find good, healthy deconstruction on the internet right now. But Jesus deconstructed all the time. In fact, in Matthew chapter five, he's in this Sermon on the Mount. This is a perfect example of it. He kept saying, you've heard it said, and then he would, he would set his own example of what actually should be. So what he's saying is, I'll give you an example here. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Like that is your construction of your faith right now. But I say, he's about to deconstruct, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What's he doing? He's deconstructing their beliefs and then he's setting the bar higher. But we don't actually see that deconstruction happening often. But Jesus did it. He just said, this is, this is what people would teach. You got to deconstruct that. This is what I'm going to teach. Jesus keeps deconstructing and then reconstructing. So healthy deconstruction could be a sign of new, healthy life. But this should be done in the context of getting into the word of God and being in a strong faith community and talking it out amongst others that we trust to help us develop and deconstruct develop good beliefs and deconstruct bad ones. 
I'll give you a few good examples. My Shrek one didn't seem to sit well with you guys. So in very conservative Christian backgrounds, there has been a belief that women shouldn't be in ministry, that women don't belong in the platform preaching. And there's still some churches that believe this today. And one of the verses that I've heard um, very conservative Christians use to support this idea is 1 Corinthians 14.33. Let's read it. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people, women should remain silent in churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Pretty intense. It sounds pretty sexist, doesn't it? But we have to look at the context of this verse because we can just take it and just take it as it is and say, oh, yes, I believe that. Let's do that moving forward. But reading this and simply believing it without any context will create serious issues in the church, and it has. I read this in a commentary. Uh, a theologian wrote this. Church members needed to exercise self-control on occasion, a self-control expressed by silence in order that the assembly might be characterized by preach, um, by peace, sorry. And so when a commentary is talking about prophecy, and so what, what was happening here, it, it's re often referred to as preaching. So the, someone would be preaching, and because, I'll explain what was happening. Someone's preaching, and because back then, the church, the, the women would sit on one side and the men would sit on another. And because back in the day, it was actually quite sexist back then, the women weren't as educated on scripture as the men, or just in general, they weren't as educated as men. Now, I'm not a perfect theologian, but I'm gonna try and do my best to describe this to you. So what was happening was the men were understanding what was said in the moment as the preacher was preaching, but the women weren't because they didn't give them the opportunity to be educated as well. So they would call across the church, and these, these women are passionate women that wanna know about what God is speaking to them in the moment. They would call across the church to their husbands to get an interpretation of what was happening in the moment, and it was creating disorder in the church. And basically, these, these Corinthian women were so passionate about what was happening in church that it was creating disorder. These, were, these women were excited about what was happening in church, and they were hungry for what God was saying. So Paul is not talking about getting up on stage and preaching and prophesying to others. He's, 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 so that's what he is saying. Sorry. Uh, Paul is not talking about sexism. He's talking about having order in their church services. So do these verses mean that women shouldn't preach, lead, or speak in church? Absolutely not. He's just talking about what was happening in the moment. We need women on our platforms. Women need to feel valued in our church. They need to be respected. They need to be trusted. And it is the job of all men to make this a reality. It's interesting to me, that the majority of the voices in the deconstruction movement are women. If you look through these, these, these platforms of decon, deconstruction, it's majority of their voices are women. Could it be that this is because their voice was not being heard in their churches? And after so much trauma and so much pain, they'd finally had enough. Women, we need you. And men, it's our job to, to make sure we open the door for that 
that we need women leaders, preachers, and women included in making ministry decisions. And that's exactly what Jesus did too. Sometimes the other argument I've heard is that, well, all the disciples were men. But if you look at the life of Jesus, he had so many women helping him make decisions and helping him move his ministry forward as well. I had all sorts of examples, but the message was way too long. And even in first, it was way too long. And I'm doing my best. Thank you for giving me grace. Another thing, so to the idea of that women shouldn't be preachers needs to totally be deconstructed. Another one that needs to be deconstructed that it's unfortunately found its, hearts, its way into hearts of, of Christians is extreme faith teaching. This might hurt a little um, for some people, but certain faith teachers, they take a truth in the Bible and they make it absolute. And they're taking a, some of them take a message of healing and prosperity and they make it the central focus of their ministry. Like everything revolves around that. And when it comes to their wants and their desires, I've heard people teach that we just name it and claim it, whatever we want. And the, the, the idea is that they believe um, you can use words to manipulate this faith force and that words create um, what they believe scripture promises. And so illness, sin, failure, all these things are just a lack of faith. And, and this actually becomes very legalistic. And uh, they think that all things can be repaired by a simple confession of claiming God's promises for oneself into existence. Basically, this extreme faith movement exalts man to God status and reduces God to man status. The idea behind this is you can get anything you want. You just have to have enough faith. And the problem with that is that this would create a world of what we want, not of what God wants. And this kind of theology does not take into account the fact that we could actually believe for something that is not the will of God. Of course we could. We're imperfect humans. And I, these people that, that teach and preach this way, honestly, they usually love God so much and they mean well, but you can be full of faith for something that is totally against the will of God. And that being said, we still must be full of faith. But the goal of that faith is to serve Jesus, not ourselves. So be full of faith. Pray, believe that God can do miracles, and he does. But it's still God's will being done, not us controlling God by using a certain amount of words and a certain amount of faith. This has been going on for a long time. Christian slave owners had awful, disgusting, bad theology. When slavery was legal, the Christian slave owners would use the Bible to manipulate slaves. But the slave owners rejected the idea that the slaves should be freed. In fact, it's believed that they found parts of the Bible to teach their slaves about why slavery was important. And American slave owners liked that the Bible birthed hope and resilience among the slaves, keeping them hard at work. So what they did was they cut up the Bible and allowed the slaves to have certain parts of the Bible, the parts that they wanted them to read, and that these are now known as slave Bibles. There's actually a couple of them in the Smithsonian Museum, and they didn't uh, want anything in there that might help the slaves um, rebel. So they, they wouldn't include Moses leading the Israelites to freedom. Like, yeah, right, we can't put that in there. 
Um, but they did include Joseph's enslavement in Egypt. And they just taught that, yeah, it's like uh, he accepts his lot in life and in the end he's rewarded for it. Um, they would highlight portions of the Bible that would instill obedience in the slaves. Just disgusting. These slave owners clearly needed deconstruction from their awful, awful theology. Thomas Jefferson cut out parts of his Bible because he didn't believe in certain things. He, he liked um, the sort of morality and the ethics and the justice that Jesus stood for. But he created his own 84-page Bible. Again, this is on display in the Smithsonian Museum. Actually, yeah, you can see it here. He actually physically cut it up because he wanted what, he embraced the morality of Jesus, but he rejected his deity. He cut out the miracles. He thought those were over the top. He cut out the resurrection, was like, no, I don't want that. He was so into the freedom of religion that he wanted to be free to create his own God one that fit his own opinions better. And what happens is God created this man in his image and then this man created God in his own image. Clearly some deconstruction needed to happen here. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in serving a picture of God that I created. I wanna serve the real one. So there is a time and a place for good, healthy deconstruction. But deconstruction also has a massive, massive dark side. Because like I said, what's happening is God makes us in his image. And then in turn, we make God in our own image. What I'm seeing happen is that we make emotional theological decisions. We cannot create a theology based on how we feel in a moment. So what I've seen is that the deconstruction movement is led by people who are creating a new theology um, based on hurt and pain that they've been through. And it is awful that people have been hurt by the church. It breaks my heart. But it's also a reality that if you're looking for a perfect church, you'll never find one. Because if it was perfect before you got there, you made it imperfect the moment you walked in the door. Um, at least that's what I believe for my life. The dark side of deconstruction uh, often comes from a, a broken place of offense. You know, if I only uh, preached out of my offense and my hurt, I would not preach a balanced sermon about following the ways of Jesus. And that's exactly what's happening in the majority of the deconstruction movement. And a lot of this hurt and offense is very valid and it needs healing the problem is what's happening is people are creating their own God that you must worship. And if you don't, you are hateful. And deconstruction has become about not liking Christianity and not wanting to live within the boundaries of it. The reality of it is, is that we're living in a time where if you take a stand on certain moral topics, you're labeled hateful, harmful, and hurtful. But boundaries hurt a little bit. Have you ever been hurt by someone's boundaries? Like, no, I can't hang out with you anymore right now. You know, like the timing, I have certain boundaries on my timing or have certain boundaries on who I'll hang out with or, or, or whatever. It, it kind of hurts your feelings when you want to do something, but somebody else's boundaries hurt you. 
But living with no boundaries makes an absolute mess. What I have noticed is that boundaries actually create real freedom. And Jesus, Jesus had boundaries. If you look at Revelations 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What he's saying is, I don't just force my way into your home. I respect your boundaries and I'll come in when I'm invited. I will come in to your life when invited. And he also doesn't say like, I'm gonna come in there and I'm just gonna like flip everything upside down and take everything fun away from you. No, he says, I'll come in and eat with him. We'll share a meal together. Jesus, after he resurrected, if you look at, through the scriptures, he just goes around and eats with people a bunch before he goes up to heaven. He's just like, let's get some of that good bread and that olive oil and all that. And mm. We must separate our emotions from our theology. And if something in the Bible makes us uncomfortable or frustrated, it doesn't mean that it's bad theology. Here's what's happening is we need to be careful because the Bible does not need to be deconstructed. Bad interpretations of the Bible need to be deconstructed. I'll say it again if you're online and you were like eating some chips or something and it was loud. The Bible does not need to be deconstructed. Bad interpretations of the Bible need to be deconstructed. Just because it upsets us it doesn't mean it's not biblical. Like, are we called to like the ways of Jesus or follow the ways of Jesus? Called to follow them. And, and Christianity or faith is being deconstructed simply because people don't like it anymore. But it doesn't mean we're off the hook. <laughs> I do believe that from what I've seen, there's some things that really need to change in Christian culture that the church as a whole has really failed to love certain people well. And I'm including myself in that. I'm not speaking down to people today. Specifically people with different sexuality than ours. This next part will probably bother, maybe hurt some people. Maybe you'll want to deconstruct me after this. I don't know. But the number one reason as I look through this deconstruction movement, the number one reason people deconstruct their faith is because they, how they've seen LGBTQ plus people treated in church, or at least how they've heard them talked about behind their back. And they think that their friends are going to be treated poorly if they have a non-traditional sexuality. And as Christians, sometimes it's easy to be upset about the world's view on sexuality. And we can disagree with uh, what's condoned or even celebrated right now. And honestly, there's some things that are happening that are horrific. Like, I get that. But if all the church does is point the finger and make sure people know our viewpoint, that does not communicate that we love everyone. Jesus embraced the tension of loving people who the religious people rejected. Because everyone should have the chance to experience his unconditional love. 
Some people haven't had the chance just because, honestly, they're afraid of how Christians will treat them. Simply by what they read online. It's, it's a stereotype about us. But uh, sometimes it's kind of fair that we're being stereotyped that way. You know, people used to say, growing up, I hear this all the time, oh, if I, if I stepped into a church, I would be struck by lightning. Like they were, they were afraid that because they were so awful, God would just take them out the moment they walked into his holy church. But I would say that the narrative now is more likely that a lot of people are afraid of hateful Christians, not afraid of God. They're just afraid of how they've heard Christians talk. I, uh, for a couple of years, no, for about a year, I was away from my parents, moved out. I was 18, started dating someone, living with them. It wasn't great. Um, and I, I'd been out of church for a few months and this was like, felt crazy to me because I've been in church my whole life. And um, I just, things were, things were tough. Um, and I finally mustered up the courage one day to come to church and I didn't sit in the front row like usual. I didn't want people, I kind of just wanted to be invisible and just kind of, I don't know, just be there. I sat with my girlfriend and uh, just as worship, just as the music set was ending, um, as people were asked to be seated, this lady tapped me on the shoulder behind me. And my parents didn't talk about what I was going through, that I was like away from church and just kind of not living for God. But this lady tapped me on the shoulder and I don't know who she is. I, I don't think I ever saw her again after that. I recognized her, but I couldn't tell you her name. And she just tapped me on the shoulder, looked me in the eyes, and she said, you are a disappointment and a disgrace to your parents. And then sat down. And at that moment, what I needed was love, but I was given what she thought was correction. I needed love, but I was given correction. And I think Jesus kind of gives us this beautiful display in the way that he relates to Zacchaeus, who's like trying to see him, trying to get close to him. Jesus is just like, can I come eat at your house? I'm just gonna invite myself over for dinner. Let's just hang out. He could have been like, oh, Zacchaeus, my man, tax collector. Thou shalt not steal, okay? Chew on that and go on with his life, right? We got to figure out how to love those who think differently than us and how to really love those who are going through deconstruction. Just because all people should be accepted, it doesn't mean that you must accept all forms of sexuality as biblical truth. In fact, I don't think that's what anyone's asking for. I've heard sort of people have this idea that, well, you know, people need to be held accountable for their sins. Does anyone do that for you? Like, do we, you know, we, it's, maybe next week we'll get the ushers to start asking people what they've been struggling with that week so we know where to seat them and how to pray for them. John, are you okay with that? Yeah, okay, all right. So John will start doing that next week. Great usher at the back. I love you, Farmer John. Just a, you're just a great guy, great heart. You love people. And, um, but we, need to, we do need to stand up and be bold 
and love people even if we don't agree with them. I recently read this book um, by Preston Sprinkle called People to be Loved. It's an incredible book. And I just wanted to read you this quote as we, forgive me, I know I've talked for a long time and I'm gonna wrap it up pretty quick, but Preston uh, says this in his book. Some people will think that you are pro-gay if you stand up for gay people. And that's fine. If people mistake your unconditional love for gay people as an affirmation of homosexual behavior, don't worry about it. You're in good company. Religious people often thought Jesus was a sinner because he had many friends who were sinners. Yet he kept on befriending sinners. Yeah, there might be some deconstruction that needs to happen in our hearts. And here's, the, here's one of the tensions is that there are things in the Bible that are culturally offensive and that doesn't mean they need to be deconstructed. But this is all the more reason that we need to be gracious and loving. It's so important. And you can hold on to your values, but you can hold them with grace and love and give really good hugs now that it's pretty safe to do so. Second Corinthians, I don't have time to read all this, but I'm just gonna read you this part. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault would be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. And then it goes through all sorts of stuff that we're going to go through as Christians, and you can read that. Um, but as we're being um, rejected by the world, and especially in the whole deconstruction movement, it's so important um, to remember how powerful and all the good things that Christianity has, have done, has done. I, I read this quote uh, this week. It says, we don't read our way into maturity. We don't think our way into maturity. We persevere our way into maturity. So I want to just ask you this question. What if the easiest days of being a Christian are behind us? What if this is going to continually be a harder and harder uphill battle? Can you still do it? Right? Like it, the temptation will be to look back on the old days and think, oh, it was so much easier back then. Well, this is where God's called us now. We're in a, in Canada, we are in a post-Christian world and that's okay. We can still shine so bright. And even as we're being rejected, we can still be Jesus to people and love people who have no interest in loving us. And here's the reality. Here is what a lot of people don't want to talk about right now is the bride of Christ is still doing really good things. For years, the church has been standing up for those with no voice and deconstructing injustices in society. You know that the majority of the organizations helping people experience homelessness in our city are Christian-based organizations <laughs> that are funded hugely by churches like this one. And even around the world, there are so many Christian organizations that are helping people in underdeveloped countries. 
the, in the Greco-Roman world, the church is like the reason that women were able to get out of these injustices. Like back in those days, like a widow would have to marry within two years or she would lose um, all of the, the estate that she had, like all of her finances, people would just take them away from her. The church stopped that. Like the church uh, stopped uh, forcing people to be married. Um, the church stopped this, that it was okay to have extramarital sex or mistresses. The church stopped all of that. Um, and, and the church did so many good things. They allowed, they set women free to enjoy greater security and equality for women. And uh, this historian, um, Glenn Sunshine, I'm going to change my name to that after church today. Great name. Uh, but he talked about how the Christians were the first people to go to slave markets and buy slaves and then set them free. That's what the churches were doing. That's what we've been doing this for years. And uh, churches were the, the first people to, in history to begin the process of outlawing slavery. And Christians are still doing that today. Uh, an organization called A21 is setting people, setting slaves free every single day. So here's the deal as we sort of land this. I just want to communicate that you can think through your faith without leaving your faith. We don't need to tear it all down. What an awful future this world would have without Christians, without churches. And when the world is hating on us, the easy thing to do is join the mob, but we don't do that. What we do is continue to develop loving communities that welcome people in. To not allow anybody to out-community the church. To welcome people into our friend groups, even if they're awkward or uncomfortable. To just make people feel at home. It doesn't mean we have to tear everything down. We just might need to deconstruct some things that we've been thinking. C.S. Lewis, the great writer said, if Christianity uh, only means one more bit of good advice, then Christianity is of no importance at all. We know that we have the ultimate hope and love. We're so much more than just a couple good morals. Somebody tell Thomas Jefferson that. Um, let's pray quick. God, I just thank you for your people. Thank you that, God, as we walk with you, as we read your word, God, that we'd have a deep desire to hear what you're saying to us through this text. And God, I, I just thank you that the church, as though there's some bad stories about us, there's also the greatest stories ever told. I just thank you for the story of your son. I just pray for anyone here um, who just needs to turn their heart over to him, that God, they can simply in a moment confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior and be welcomed into this com loving community. God, I, I just pray that, um, God, that we would just realize that maybe there's some stuff that's gotten into our heart that we need to challenge so that more people would know your love your grace, your forgiveness, and your hope. In Jesus' name, come on together, let's say amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from Doubt, Deconstruction, and Devotion. If you'd like to find out more about Celebration Church or would like to partner with us financially, visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Come back next week to hear another great message.